the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Gotta love when you get to have harmonica for your own bumper at the top of the hour. Good to be with you. The Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk 710-KNUS. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We are now two days removed from Thanksgiving, and if you can believe it, less than a month from Christmas. Less than a month from Christmas now, and my mind is just going, whoa, where in the world has the time gone? But with the Christmas season upon us also means we've got the new year. And with the new year means we really need to have serious conversations about what's happening in schools. What's happening in Colorado's K-12 education system. We've, of course, seen a lot more interest in education issues among conservatives in the past few years as the veil over COVID or over the school system was brought away was removed by COVID and by the COVID policies and by the e-learning that gave parents an opportunity to see what's being taught, how it's being taught, in some cases increasing the interest of parents in what's happening in schools. And so we've seen parents' rights groups such as the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network, which was just founded recently, come about to promote this idea of parental engagement, parental rights in their kids' education in a variety of areas. We know how conservatives view these issues. What about folks who are on the left? How do they approach parents' rights? And is there a common ground that we can find here in this moment? That's why I'm very pleased to have in studio for the full hour, Julie Bonuelos. She is a former teacher, as well as a past candidate for the Denver Public Schools Board of Education and most recently was a finalist for a vacancy that was up a few months ago on the Denver Public Schools Board of Ed. And she has described herself to me as outsider left. So let's get the outsider left perspective on parents' rights and more in education. Julie, bienvenidos. Good to have you. Uh, thanks, Jimmy. I uh, appreciate the invite. I look forward to our our conversation, right, and and to be able to to understand and, and hopefully bring to light the the common issues that we have, whether we're on the left or on the right. Uh, because I think if you really dig into it, we have we have a lot of similarities. And I think at the at the center are our kids, and then uh, those folks that are teaching our kids, because we need to be a uh, a better country. We need to be a better city, you know, a better state, and it, it starts with educating our our young folks. So, give us a little bit more about your background and, and your experience in education and what you focused on. Sure. Uh, so, I didn't go to college. Uh, 
I didn't I didn't go through the traditional uh, educational training uh, program. I actually um, have a liberal arts degree, <laughs> and uh, and it's in I. economics. Yeah, mine was in politics. I mine in economics at Regis University. Yeah, just down the street from where I live. Uh, and I'm very thankful for that education. It's given me a lot of opportunity. Um, so, so I actually um, started off volunteering in, in 2000 at the school that I attended as a child, which was over in downtown Denver off of Tremont and Park Avenue. It's now known as um, uh, Polaris Ebert. And back in the day, um, it was not Polaris Ebert back when I started uh the tutoring um, during my lunch hour. I was at an investment firm. Is that an elementary school? It's an okay. elementary school, so I started there. Yeah, so I, for seven years, I ran an educational nonprofit called Liberty Day Institute that helped teach kids the Constitution in public schools. And every year we would bring students to the Capitol for Liberty Day, James Madison's birthday. And uh, for several years, they read the Bill of Rights on the floor of the state house, Republican, Democrat controlled, whatever it was. And I remember one year, Polaris students went and went to the capital. So just a, oh. a little trip down memory lane there I didn't yeah. expect. So so then then it happened more recently, right? Because this was probably oh gosh, you know, within the last ten years. Ten years, yeah. yeah. Because Ebert, the the where I work, where I volunteered and then eventually ended up working, uh was closed in okay. two thousand four. So then it was closed for a couple of years, mm-hmm. right? And then it reopened as Polaris as a gifted gotcha. gifted mm-hmm. uh, program, uh, so so I um, discovered that I had a I was gra- gravitating towards uh, towards the teaching kids, working with kids, and so I ended up uh, as a leaving my investment job, becoming a paraprofessional, and then soon after I, I, I well I got uh, an opportunity to get my licensing through uh, Metro the Alternative Teacher License Program. So I, I participated in that for two years under the direction of a of a teacher who ran the program. So uh, I got my job at Ebert, was the mm-hmm. English language uh, ESL teacher mm-hmm. for uh, K through six. And then once Ebert was closed down, I ended up at uh, Academia Sandoval, which is a Montessori in, in North Denver, and uh, dual language, so uh, kind of a, a very challenging sort of curriculum. but. Kids were always doing well uh, with that programming. I would think that when you were working with English as a second language, ESL program students, or special needs kids, Mm -hmm. that you really have more of, oftentimes more of a relationship with parents, that you have to work closely with them for the success of a child's education. Would that be correct? That is uh, correct. And if if as a teacher, especially in an English language programming uh, classroom, you have to, at the forefront, is those parent-teacher relationships. Because you have a lot of folks that are either uh, that are immigrants or not, and not familiar with the public U.S. public system, and you want to let them know, be transparent, let them know what they can do at home, um, and we included, at least I included at that point in in uh, how to kind of acclimate to, how to understand money, how to the grocery store, and there's opportunity for learning all around us. That it doesn't just happen in the classroom; it happens outside the classroom as well. Yeah, I think that that's an important point to keep in mind. So when it comes to this parent-teacher relationship, I mean, to me, it really seems like there's been a breakdown, whether you are in more urban sectors like, say, Denver, or you go out to even – I had a lot of respects 
say what you will about how they pay their teachers well in Cherry Creek schools and the reputation that they have. There's a lot of breakdown in in parents' confidence among what's happening in schools that can disrupt some of that idea that the parent-teacher relationship is as strong as, strong as it should be and the parent-school relationship is as, as strong as it could be. From your perspective and your experience, how important is that dynamic in that relationship? It's, it's key. I think that COVID uh, exposed that aspect, right? The, <clears throat> excuse me, the aspect of, of the, the lack of collaborating, the collaboration that needs to exist between te- teachers or school in general, not mm-hmm. just teachers, right? It doesn't just fall right. on our teachers. It falls on the culture of the school and what needs to happen and being able to create that understanding between parents. I mean, COVID just really exposed a lot in general, right? Economically, politically, and and we need to understand that, see that, and see if we can improve those relationships. Because if not, we're going to pit one in one another and and that's happening right teachers aren't trusted te- and it's always it has been a fight against teachers teachers are to blame and that's problematic you know it's right? interesting when you say that that there's a perception that teachers are to blame when you talk to parents, usually they'll say, my teachers, my kids' teachers doing a great job. I really feel good overall about what they are doing. However, it's other teachers or it's the school that they're at, the administrators. If you have certain issues, like, for example, I've covered issues of, of sexually, sexual assault being mishandled in Cherry Creek schools or allegations of sexual assault and so forth. I won't go into that story, but parents have told me the teachers tried what they could, but the administration is where we were stonewalled, so on and so forth. To me, that that is so central to this discussion that you have the parents who have a confidence maybe in their own kids' teachers, but they look at the school itself, they look at the administration and feel like there's obstruction there. And that can disrupt the parent-teacher dynamic as well. Definitely. But you also have to look at the the um, sort of the tapestry of, of parents who are involved, right? We have parents who have time, who, who show up, drop off their kids, are able to kind of always have a pulse on what's happening in the classroom and in the school. And then you have the parents that have a job, two jobs, they have to clock in. Um, so you have a really wide spectrum um, but I think it's really important to understand to get everybody involved, right? To, to be able not just to be one parent looking out just for your kids, but to be involved in such a way that you're watching out for mm-hmm. all the kids, regardless of where they land, right? On, 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 the, on the aisle, left or right, that, um, that, that the best interest for all, because I've noticed that there are some folks that have a lot of power, whether it's because they have a lot of money or a lot of threat, or maybe they're attorneys, and they kind of leverage that mm-hmm. and create a really hostile environment for the school. And I think that often some schools, whether it's leaders or teachers, kind of then shut down because mm-hmm. we have parents who push that part. That it, and, and I think it, there's probably folks who, who know somebody that way in their classroom. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be a balance. There needs to be trust again. But how are we supposed to do that? Well, I think understanding the pressure that the teachers are under, they're not getting paid. Um, we need to understand that um, what our rights are, right? Mm-hmm. What, what our special education, uh, mm-hmm. what our kids need to 
to get and what is required by law along with our English language learners. Mm. So being able to be versed in that, we need to recalibrate basically is what we need to do. Again, we're talking with Julie Banuelos. Recently, she was a finalist for the Denver Public Schools Board of Education where there was a vacancy a few months back. Uh, Julie, when we talk about this notion of parents' rights, there's a lot of discussion, especially among conservatives, who are concerned about the lack of curriculum transparency, for example, on sex ed topics, they've even had to go through the a whole rigmarole of, of filing Colorado Open Records Act requests just to find out what their kids are learning, so on and so forth. And that, on the one hand, that's unacceptable to me just in general, that parents should be able to know what their kids are learning, not to control it. They should be able to pull their kids out if they feel that there's something inappropriate for them, but not to control this is what should or shouldn't be taught, not to control the curriculum, but to be aware of what's being taught. That's fundamental in, in the one respect. But on the other hand, I also think it sows more distrust when you have parents who feel like they cannot find out what their kids are learning or oftentimes find themselves obstructed for that from that. And that's not healthy or helpful. So ask yourself, why, why is that happening? Who, who's in charge of the school? Who's the administration, right? How many years have they had under their belt? What type of teachers do they have that are in the classroom? Do they have somebody that's a year to two years? Do they have actually master teachers that have been in the classroom for 20, 25 years? We are burning them out so much that they're pushing these well-trained teachers out of the way. And you know probably parents that are listening that have a great teacher. Maybe they've been teaching for 10 years. They've been teaching for 20 years that they're going to tell you because they know the curriculum they're teaching. They're going to tell you what's happening in the classroom. They can tell you like in the back of the hand, right? Or they send something, a letter home that says, this is what we're going to cover this week. Go over these things at home because we want to create that. And here's the textbooks we're using and the websites. And here's how you can access. So you have more trained teachers or trained, well-trained teachers, that have that are master teachers create relationships with parents and community you're not going to have that distrust but what is the makeup right now we're barely they're barely staying in the classroom some of them are you'll probably have a whole bunch of them quit once the holiday break comes in and i say holiday because you know we have so many our country has so many different cultures so many different people so christmas is here for some of us, and then a lot of them just started celebrating. But but as we get into the holidays, um, there'll be a group of teachers that quit. You know, the silence, what is it? The silence, uh, silent quitting? Silent quitting, yeah. Yeah, um, because they're burnt out. And then how, who, are, who do we have? I mean, D- DPS is suffering right now. They don't have enough substitutes. There are teachers in in the classroom who are teaching two different roles, taking on two to three different roles. And some of that is due to, I mean, you look at in Denver's case, Mm -hmm. the amount of support the teachers got throughout COVID was just not there. There are disciplinary issues Mm -hmm. that have run rampant and they haven't been given the tools to address them. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there's just so much uh, discouragement going on that people are like, yeah, I'm not so sure that I want to then substitute at these schools. And it's a whole vicious cycle that just builds up and builds up. 
Yeah, instead of, and, and we all want to pull, I mean, I think for some folks, the alternative is saying, I'm going to pull my child out and put him in a, in a private school, or put him in a charter school, right? Is that really better? Instead of looking at what are we doing? What happened? Where's the breakdown? And demanding that from these folks that are running the district. You decided to hire inexperienced teachers because they were cheaper, and now the teachers are a problem. Well, let's look at the history, understand how we got here so that we can fix it, make it better. We don't have pipelines from college, you know, from our local colleges to DPS, where we have enough people seeing that this particular career is respected. So no one wants to be a teacher, Mm -hmm. right? Because we blame the teachers as opposed to thinking what has happened at the top level in the Capitol to create this fight that teachers are the problem, mm-hmm. right? And, and there are a lot of administrative issues that mm-hmm. go on where administration sets these policies, maybe makes certain things more difficult, and then teachers sometimes can catch the blame, whether it's an individual teacher or just the notion of the teachers. Um, that that could be. I, I think there's more criticism, though, from the right that comes towards the, the teachers' unions and not in a way that envisions the teachers as being well represented by the teachers unions, but that the teachers unions are sort of an organ of themselves that are not oftentimes working in the best interest, even of the teachers that they're supposed to be serving. Denver Public Schools is a is a real case in point in terms of their union. Oh, yeah. I don't know if if folks have received that flyer um, that is uh, recommending teachers directly directed to teachers, um, telling them to uh, quit CEA, to quit their union because they're not they're not being represented. I mean, we have to believe whether you're left or right, you have to believe in labor. Labor is what made the middle class, right? We could buy a house, we could we could have one job and know that we worked a certain amount of hours and still be able to to be healthy. But that's gone. That power, we're losing it. But some of it has to do because we had corporation, folks that want to run districts like corporations, and corporations don't like unions. So they're really... tying one hand right mm. behind their back and leaving unions powerless. So this this whole thing about negotiating, right, becomes a, such a spectacle. And it's like, no, these folks are in the classroom. They're the ones doing the work. Why are we making it hard for wow. them to scrap for a dollar more? Or but then, it is, then right? when, when you get, and I don't want to diverge into a whole discussion about the unions, I would yeah. say in Denver in particular, I mm-hmm. think a lot of teachers have been frustrated with the union because of a focus that has been on politics and playing political games and supporting candidates for positions and so forth, that that has been a driving source of frustration. We have all these issues going on in the schools, and what are the unions focusing on? All too often, DPS's union is a case in point. Yeah. They're focusing on the political games. I think you're, you're you, yeah, there's problems with that. Mm-hmm. And maybe uh, instead of relying on, on just a, a small committee deciding who the the political candidate's going to be, mm-hmm. I think they really need to rely on rank and file deciding mm-hmm. because you, they've lost that power and that int- that, that pulse. Julia Banuelos here in studio. We're going to open up the phones as well. 303-696-1971. 303-696-1971. We're going to take a quick break. We will be back with much more on the other side as we continue. Shall we call it a meeting of the minds? News Talk 710 KNUS.
If you don't feel this Christmas blues from the Great Lake, Coco Taylor, you got a hole in your soul. Welcome back to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Best Christmas bumper music anywhere on your radio dial. News Talk 710 KNUS, 6 to 9 every Saturday morning. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. Julie Bonuelos is here in studio. She is a former teacher. She's run for the Denver Public Schools Board of Education and very recently was a finalist for the vacancy on the DPS board that recently came up. And we're having a little bit of a meeting of the mind. She considers herself. Can you describe, Julie, so I don't just say she considers herself outsider left. What do you mean by outsider left? You are of the left, but what is the outsider piece? How do you vision that? Well, I, I, I like to say that uh, because I am not content with, with where we're at, uh, with the Democratic Party. I'm not, I'm not a Democrat. I'm an independent. Um, and so we don't put out folks, and I say everybody on the left, we don't put out folks that are strong enough that are really going to fight the fight that we need as uh, just regular people, right? Regular middle class, working class that represent us. And, um, and uh, they get to office, they use our vote, and then they let us down. And, and I'm tired of that. So I just, we got to get back to values. We got to get back to being able to pick folks that share values and that follow through on those values. Mm. Uh, Julie, uh, before we get to the phones here, I want to go to a point you raised about making sure, basically, rather than taking your kid to a different school, and we can maybe get into the, the school choice discussion a little bit, because I do believe that that falls under the, the rubric of parents' rights. Yeah. But there's this notion that you were talking about, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. Rather than moving your student to another, your kid to another school, like a private school or a charter school, see what you can do to change what's happening in your current school and in your district. Listener text coming in as a parent, I, I believe as a parent. Uh, some of us tried that, not sure what school district, by the way. We tried to ex exact change by going to all the Board of Education meetings, meeting with administration, none acknowledged, just ignored which goes to the big theme of this hour, which is the notion of parents' rights and that relationship mm -hmm. between parents and schools and districts. Real briefly, what is your response here to those who've become just discouraged because they feel like they're not able to make any change in the district that they're in? You know, that's all too common, I think, now. And it, it kind of exposes uh, the question of who is running the district, Whose interests are they really representing? If it's not the parents, the community teachers, then who are they listening to? And I think this is a, this shows everyone, all of us. If they're not listening to us, then who are you listening to? Are you listening to just the politicos, the corporations that are the corporate interests, the billionaires, billionaires that are coming in to education, trying to take over? Is that who who they're putting in? So uh, for me, I think that. Um, when we think back uh, to when our teachers went on strike and everyone was united, I think the power of people and teachers and everybody who supported public education was there for us to see, that that's there. But with everything that's transpired the last you know, three years, that has put us against each other. Mm. So how can we get together collaborate right we know that there's this push for parent rights but what it is is being able to have transparency being able to trust 
education, public mm. education again, right? 303-696-1971, our telephone number. Priscilla Sharon is a teacher, and she's calling into the show. You're on with Julie Benuelos and, of course, Jimmy Sangenberger. How are you, Priscilla? Good morning. I'm great. Good morning. Happy post-Turkey Day. Hi, Julie. Hi, Priscilla. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you. I'm such a fan of Julie's, and, of course, you, Jimmy, and I um, was really excited about this topic because um, it's definitely in my wheelhouse. I'm smack in the middle of my 29th year as a public educator and master teacher and I just wanted to call in and say Julie is spot on and uh, with her with her analysis of what's been happening in our education system and the needs they're so diverse and I love the word that you use the tapestry you know of our parents and our communities it's very very complex but even with that being said we have so many smart people in administration and down at the Capitol, we should be problem solving these issues. And you're right, it starts with policy and then who we pick um, as leaders in our schools that have time. And I have seen this in my almost three decades in public education. Teachers between one and three and four years leaving. Last year, I think we probably had about 20 teachers, 20 educators leave in my building alone mid-year. Wow. And it's not sustainable. Our kids went through a couple of years of not having a full-time, consistent, um, strong, highly qualified teacher teaching them. And who gets impacted the most? Well, it's our black and Hispanic students who are hurt the most. And we just saw the most recent numbers, only 5% of Denver's black and Hispanic children in third grade are reading at grade level. That's absolutely unacceptable. And while we have school boards fighting about so many things, our kids are falling through yeah. the, the cracks. And something needs to be done right away. We need strong um, community members to run for school board who don't have some sort of ulterior motive, but have yeah. the problem-solving skills yeah. to uh, fix what's going on. Yeah. Julie, what are you thinking as, as you hear Priscilla express some of the trials and tribulations of the school environment, but also alluding to some of the underlying prob- root causes? Yeah, I mean, Priscilla Priscilla is boots on the ground. I mean, 20, 20 29 years? That's amazing. Uh, thank you, Priscilla. I mean, especially the last, you know, three years have been, I mean, the last 10, but but specifically the last three have been really, really tough. And uh, I know I know that you're, the classroom and the kids and everything they're going through is, is a lot. So in regards to uh, Priscilla and what she's saying, uh, board members, people that we pick to run for school boards, yeah, I mean, this cannot be about our ego. Um, it cannot be about what my next steps are in in a political trajectory because then it becomes about them and not about our students. And that has happened. And I I can say that I appreciate uh, what Jimmy has written um, and and, and what you've talked about on the show in really bringing to light some of these problems that are really uh, taking over uh, the school board. And, you know, the ironic thing is that DCTA – these are all DCTA, the yeah, the Denver Denver Classroom Teacher Association, uh, backed all these, all these candidates. And, they're on the DPS board. Uh, they're now. on DPS, and and the drama that has happened when we really need 
heroes. We really need unselfish folks making change that we need and recreate or uh, regaining trust of community. Uh, so you know, it gets back to the conversations that were the topic that we're talking about. Right? And some of this hypercharged climate that we've got can prevent a conversation like this. Mm-hmm. Julio Banuelos on the Jimmy Sangenberger show to talk about issues of education like parents' rights. We will disagree on certain things when it comes to, say, school choice or some aspects of the unions and so forth. Mm-hmm. But at least we can have conversations and maybe find some sort of, of common ground. Uh, Priscilla, Ron, what's a, a final thought uh, from you here on, on maybe the importance of these discussions to help foster a better dynamic for parents and their experiences in schools to keep them engaged with their kids' education. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of using your voice. So I would encourage parents to continue to advocate for their kids, especially those parents whose choices are limited, where they don't have the means right now to pull their kids out or the time to homeschool, where they're locked in and their only choice is their neighborhood school. I would say that you continue to respectfully communicate with your child's teacher, who, who really is the number one um, partner with the parents. That classroom teacher has the ability and the quote-unquote power to make such a strong and positive impact on a child's life. But it's the systems, right? And so continue to go to school board meetings and express your discontent. Continue to uh, write op-eds, talk to your neighbors, get parents together and demand change because it's change that's going to be for the benefit of the future of children, which impacts the future of our state. And so just stay involved and don't give up. I think that's well put. Priscilla, thanks for calling in. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Jimmy, Priscilla was on point. I mean, that's exactly, uh, and and we're on the, you know, different sides and and we can come together and see that. But, but she, she, you know, one thing that, that I failed to address was the fact that the, the scores, the reading scores, right, are, are low. And if we think about what's going to happen and how that's going to play itself out in the future and the economy that we want and the workforce that we want, Mm -hmm. that's the reality and that's what should scare us. If we're not having kids um, ready to deal with post-secondary education or even just the workforce, we're going to be in trouble. And so we need to look at it as an emergency now. Yeah, I think that's very well put. I couldn't agree more with you. Julie Banuelos here in studio. We're going to take a quick break. Looks like Lori Gimmelstein just called in. She's the founder of the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network. When we come back, we'll bring Lori into the conversation. Looking forward to it here as we continue on News Talk 710 KNUS. Nothing gets you better ready for the holidays than the best Christmas bumper music known to man. News Talk 710 KNUS, the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, little B.B. King singing and playing about that Christmas celebration. Great to be with you. Thanks for joining us, being a part of the program. And a special thanks to our in-studio guest this hour, the first of, I'm sure, many conversations. I want to delve into a variety of topics, see where we have common ground, where we differ, because there are definitely areas of difference. But 
are there ways to sort of work within that and find some way of of having a middle ground amidst the common ground? I don't know on some of these issues, but that's what we'll have to suss out. Julie Bonuelos is here in studio, former teacher and most recently, she was, or very recently, was a finalist for the Denver Public Schools Board of Education when there was a vacancy open. So we've got Julie in studio as we're talking about parents' rights. By the way, the subject of my column due out tomorrow in the Denver Gazette on restoring parents' rights in education Julie Bonuelos is quoted in there, as well as Lori Gimmelstein, who calls in now. She joined us in studio a couple of weeks ago, just as the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network was about to launch. And uh, she's calling in now. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning, Julie. How are you? Doing well. Thanks, Lori. Good to meet you over the over the radio. You too. <laughs> you too. Um, Julie, I'm just listening, and it's such it's such a refreshing conversation that you and Jimmy are having this morning and I run the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network um, and we we are really aligned in a lot of the things that you're discussing and I love that you're talking about a bridge and and showing people opportunities when you talk about your experiences in English as a second language and showing parents the doors when they're new to America and the, and the opportunities that abound. I mean, that is just incredible. And I love those support systems in place. And um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more because at the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network, we're a network of parents and stakeholders and teachers across the entire state. And, and as you're describing, you know, teachers leaving and you're describing the plummeting test scores, we have a lot of teachers on both sides of the aisle. This really isn't a political issue when you look, you know, look things straight down. That they are, um, they're coming in because they're being, uh, they're, they're sharing stories that they're being forced to introduce concepts that really interfere with their instructional time. So, um, you know, focusing on things like gender and race and sexuality. Um, that they're using their precious classroom time on that instead of on, mm. uh, you know, reading, writing, and doing math. And so we're hearing from a lot of teachers, and they're, and they're saying that they're they're leaving the classrooms because of those issues, not because hmm. um, they feel like they're being blamed or that you know they're not getting the supports necessary. Um, you know, historically, teaching the teaching profession um, hasn't been you know, something that you go into it for the pay. It, it's because you love education and you you want to contribute to right. that. You want to contribute to the next generation. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that, um, just about these concepts that are going into the classrooms and, and how that's impacting learning. You know, it's interesting that you bring up that um, they're talking about gender and um, what was the other? Gender, and race. Race. Um, probably sexual orientation sexual as orientation. well in the classroom. Yeah. Um, and, and to be tra- fully transparent, I, I am part of the LGBTQ uh, I community. So just so you know, Lori. And um, having having been in the classroom for mm-hmm. as long as I, I, I was, and I am Latina. I am obviously um, Mexican-American. Uh, my mom was an immigrant to this country. Um, so... I think that the way as a teacher that we can talk about respecting one another, right? 
creating that environment, the culture in the classroom of being able to say, this is, these are the, this is the cultural capital that I bring without, you know, getting into any political aspect, but this is the cultural capital, the differences that we bring and that we as a classroom community uh, can really benefit from learning from one another. But, um, you know, I always taught, uh, and I was a Montessori teacher eventually, so I always taught the curriculum and um, and uh, without without having to get into the politics of things. Uh, I think there was always the being able to be respectful of one another. Um, but I don't know if it's the old school part that, that I approach things that way. I haven't been in the classroom since 20... Uh, when I left in 2016. So I know that a lot of conversations have changed since then. Um, I'm assuming also because there's all this talk about CRT, critical race theory, and critical race theory um, can't be taught to elementary kids or or high school. It's taught more in college. In terms of the actual notion of critical race theory, I think think what we have seen um, and had, I've talked with Lori about this before, Mm -hmm. is that while CRT itself is certainly not taught, there are elements that seem to be being incorporated in Mm -hmm. classrooms in a way that for some parents Mm -hmm. is concerning. Um, And I'd love to know a little bit more about what those topics are um, and being able, because I think to be able to, to, to bring to light that we're all different, right? I used to tell the classroom, you know, if we were all the same, if we looked the same, if we had the same ideas, this would be a really boring classroom. Mm-hmm. We're all very different. We all have different opinions, different homes, and we bring in those things into the classroom, but we have to respect one another. And I think, um, and I'll tell you that the, the, in terms of, of how race, in, t- in terms of slavery, in terms of how stuff, uh, our history, we need yes. to be clear and tell the truth. Absolutely. And not be scared. Be comfortable in the discomfort so that we can end up being better generations mm-hmm. and not repeating the past because we find ourselves repeating the past. In fact, and I'll throw it to Lori. We're just about out of time here, Lori. So brief uh, follow-up on this uh, very briefly. But I do want to say uh, Dr. Alveda King, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, spoke to CPAN and she specifically said the good, the bad, the ugly, we need to teach it all because otherwise you're you're going to repeat history if you don't learn from it. Lori, real quick. Hey, yeah, I, I'm right on board with you, um, Julie, and, and that really is the foundation with the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network, really focusing on a rigorous, non-political academic education, supporting all students. And I 100% agree with you, this concept of respect, this concept of diversity of thought. And when you say, um, you know, CRT is not taught in schools, I'll agree with, with that, like the theory itself, but tenants of it are being brought into the school under the guise of things like um, social emotional learning, culturally responsive education, even the words diversity, equity, and inclusion, which are wonderful words. I'm a huge proponent of all three of those. But when you look at what the actual uppercase DEI uh, looks like when it's being employed in instruction, I would love to invite you to sit down with us and take a look at all the evidence that we have from across the state from all the different school districts, because I would love to partner with you. I would love to build a bridge so that we can uh, really return to restoring the parents' voice in education. That's interesting, uh, Lori, especially because you may be able to offer some insights that 
Oh yeah. Well, I, I well no, no. I actually mean Julie. Julie may be able to offer some insights onto to mm-hmm. some uh, understanding some of these concepts and so forth. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I would. Lori, thank you. We we got to run. Thank you so much. I'll That's see if I can fine. connect thank you. Thank you. You bet. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Final yeah, thought, I, Julie. I, I, We're I, just about out of time here. About thirty yeah, seconds. I, you know, I'm, I I do agree in the social emotional learning. We have a lot of uh, trauma. We have folks, and if you think about how folks are really struggling economically, mm. imagine the stress that comes with not being able to feed your family, not having gas, right. you know, having alcoholism, and you know, and, and and you come in the classroom and are expected to learn. You know, we go back to talking about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So it For, is important to un- have emotional. Unfortunately, social the computer's about to cut me off. Sure. I look forward to more conversations. There's a lot we can do. Julie Bonuelos, thank you so much. God bless America. Peter's up next. Thank you. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.